From New York's Hudson River Valley, I'm Ed McCann, and this is Read 650. Read 650 celebrates writers and the spoken word, five minutes and 650 words at a time. And on today's show, we have Sharon Foreman, Jean-Marie Fleming, and Leah Moore presenting original true stories relating to birthdays. Not always happy, and not necessarily occasions for singing. My grandmother, Bobianus, used to send me cross-country care packages loaded with Reese's peanut butter cups, crayon drawings of clowns and ballerinas, and quarters taped into greeting cards. It's your 17th birthday. I hope you'll read my note and let me back into your life. This was her first birthday party, and we had over 30 guests waiting downstairs to celebrate her. I had only one thought. This day is a celebration of everything she can't do. And on today's Between the Lines segment, Anne Levin describes her family's unique way of commemorating birthdays. My mom was born on May 29th, and every year, as the day drew near, my siblings and I would frantically email each other about writing a birthday poem. That's all just ahead on Read 650. For most of us, however we acknowledge or celebrate them, birthdays are important mile markers in our lives and in the lives of our children, parents, grandparents, the people we matter to and who often matter most to us. Writer Sharon Foreman recalls a milestone birthday linked to milestone events with her personal story, Bittersweet 16. My grandmother, Bobby Annis, used to send me cross-country care packages loaded with Reese's peanut butter cups, crayon drawings of clowns and ballerinas, and quarters taped into greeting cards. I treasure her old letters with the curious greeting, Dearest Aurora. Obsessed with fairy tales and Disney's version of Sleeping Beauty, I had asked and possibly insisted that my grandmother substitute my humdrum post-baby boomer moniker with this regal name. Long before any BuzzFeed quiz might attempt to connect a person to a spiritual Disney princess twin, I played for Team Aurora. During her childhood, when she lived away from the palace, her foster mothers called her Briar Rose. My Hebrew name, Shoshana Malka, meant Rose Queen. Aside from being beautiful with flowing hair, Aurora's glowing goodness and gentle singing tamed all of the forest animals. Best of all, she was kissed by a handsome and courageous prince on her 16th birthday. To be precise, 100 years after her actual birthday. I recalled how the befuddled fairies fussed over her blue and pink ball gown and prepared her birthday cake. No Disney princess. I still had high hopes for my milestone birthday. On a Friday afternoon, one day before that 16th birthday, Shimmy, our family dog, died. Her belly flipped and twisted, which disrupted circulation and deprived vital organs of oxygen. 
When my mom described how my sister sang lullabies to my unresponsive dog in the car en route to the vet, I could not believe that blood still flowed into my heart. Our dog loved everyone in the family, but Shimmy stood guard at the front door to wait for me after school each day. When my clumsy hands practiced scales and both inventions, she dozed underneath the piano bench. Studious, she sat by my side when I repeated conjugations of French verbs. She napped under my bed, her long legs jutting out. Shimmy may have been the family dog, but I knew that I could speak to her and understand her. Unlike Aurora and her animal friends, Shimmy and I did not dance together in a dappled green forest, but we ran in the backyard, dodging grumpy September bees. My parents, who had been born during the Great Depression, believed that children should clear their plates. Shimmy stationed herself underneath my chair at the dinner table and rescued me by making surreptitious and quick work of bay leaf-infused chili and an oddly citrus-flavored dairy entree known as Blinza's souffle. Shimmy was my protector, my teddy bear, my secret food disposal, my friend. On that tearful birthday, my parents insisted we press on with a now-subdued family dinner. My sisters and brother presented me with homemade cards and a vinyl record of Chicago's Hard to Say I'm Sorry. There must have been cake, most likely chocolate with chocolate frosting and copious roses, which did not cure my sadness. No dog prowled under the dining room table begging for scraps. We attended synagogue, and I stood during the Kaddish prayer, praising God's goodness and the gift of life. We Jews recite it for our dead. Shimmy may have been a dog, but death, like Maleficent's crow, had attacked my home. When I turned 16, I swallowed my bittersweet cake and cried. Five months later, Booby died on her birthday. On Valentine's Day, a blood clot traveled through her veins and struck her lungs. She was the only person to call me Aurora. My grandmother had been called many names too, Henny in Minsk, and later Annis, when she arrived in this country as a toddler. Booby understood that you could be more than a given name, a princess in disguise, a person who dreams of love. Roses on birthday cakes remind me of Shimmy and my Booby too. Aurora and I know that even more than memories, love will persist long after 100 years. Raised in Norfolk, Virginia, Sharon Foreman is a reform rabbi who's worked for 24 years in the field of Jewish education. She's the author of Honest Answers to Your Child's Jewish Questions, and most recently, The Baseball Haggadah, a festival of freedom and springtime in 15 innings. She lives with her husband and three children in Westchester County, where she also teaches B'nai Mitzvah students. For many parents, a growing child's birthday often prompts indelible memories from the very day of that child's birth, a kind of mental time travel that resets perspective on the present. 
This is writer Jean Arie Fleming reading Quinn. I drive to Grandma's house with a present and an envelope for you. I hope you'll read my note and let me back into your life. It's your 17th birthday, and the last time I saw you was two months ago when I paused at a stop sign near home. You teetered on a longboard in a friend's driveway. I opened the window and waved. You squinted in the sun, flashed me the finger, and turned away. I leave the gift on the counter. My heart is twisted. I hug your grandmother in the garden. She offers no comfort. It's my fault, she insinuates. I initiated the divorce. And what did I expect, really? I am sad, sad all over, aching. Sometimes I think the pain in my body will cause cancer. It is the first birthday I do not get to embrace you. I don't buy myself flowers this year, and I don't post good cheer on Facebook. The gloating from other parents who post pictures and praises over their infallible offspring exacerbates my shame and my loss. I failed at mothering, the one thing I worked hardest in my life at. At the grocery store, I run into Mrs. Jansen, Mark's mother, who asks, How are the boys? I force a smile. Everyone's good, I say, glancing at my watch to make a show of how busy and important I am. I don't have time for her joy. She rattles off a list of college visits she and Mark are planning. He's applying for a scholarship. I don't care. Everyone is not good. It feels as though I've lost a child and I'm keeping it a secret. This community of friends and acquaintances from football, lacrosse, baseball, the rec, church, etc. cannot know. To reveal this estrangement could unravel me. I'm afraid my guts will dribble onto the floor in front of the frozen foods. My shoulders sag. It is all I can do to lift my groceries into the trunk. Still, I need to keep up my act. I have a cake for the other birthday boy, your mirror image. I drive home thinking about the morning of your birth. I had lingered a few minutes to watch your brother Dylan, then three, do puzzles at the cinnamon tree. I could do that, spend extra time with him, because this high-risk pregnancy had prohibited me from working. Fortuitously, I had an OB appointment that morning, and after that I planned to visit the mall to purchase curtains the color of the sky for your room. I never made it to the mall. Dr. Stern pinched his chin and announced, these babies are coming. He turned to the nurse, call an ambulance, and then shot a steroid into my butt. For the 20 minute delivery, I held the hand of a stranger in scrubs. You and your brother were wrapped in blankets and whisked away before dad even made it to the hospital. Tiny babies, three months early, under three pounds. Perfect, nonetheless. Dad and I, shocked, 
but running on adrenaline were buoyant. At 2 a.m., I woke and reached a hand to my belly and remembered. In argyle socks and green hospital gown, I padded down the hall to check on you and Colin in the NICU. Things had taken a turn. A doctor spoke of risk and responsibility. In a groggy haze, I signed forms. I stood frozen and looked from you to your brother, both in peril. Your skin waxed paper, your arms the width of my ring finger pinned down. A tube protruded from your throat. A maze of wires connected you to machines. A night nurse registered my tears and offered, you're going to have to give it up to God. And I did. Here I am again on your birthday, powerless. But I'll wait for you, Quinn. Jean Marie Fleming is a writer and educator who just finished her first year in the MFA program at Sarah Lawrence College. She was an assistant editor for Hudson Valley Parent Magazine and was a featured presenter of original work at Next Year's Words in New Paltz, New York. Her writing is published in the Waldkill Writers Anthology, Hudson Valley Parent, Hudson Valley Mature Life, and Montessori News. She lives in Garrison, New York. For young children, birthdays are a kind of mile marker and they're also developmental checkpoints. Based on statistical criteria, we expect our children to exhibit or accomplish or perform appropriately for their age on what can seem like an arbitrary timetable. It's rough terrain for a young parent, as writer Leah Moore relates in this next piece. This is Leah reading, Happy Birthday, Baby Girl. Would you excuse me for a moment? I whispered, sneaking past the guests. I just have to grab something from upstairs. The theme was polka dots. Our closest family and friends congregated around the Pinterest-inspired room, I had agonized over her perfectly constructed smash cake. We were ready to blow out the candles. Except I was upstairs, in my closet, crying uncontrollably, alone. We were up to our eighth specialist in three states. We were awaiting blood work from the geneticist's office. We were no closer to an answer about why our daughter's paperwork stated she was not meeting the milestones of a newborn child. This was her first birthday party, and we had over 30 guests waiting downstairs to celebrate her. I had only one thought. This day is a celebration of everything she can't do. I'll be right down. I just need to grab more candles. I lied from the top of the stairs. I huddled in a ball on the floor of my tiny closet, barely large enough to hold all of my stained oversized sweatshirts. I had done everything a mother was supposed to do. I had learned to nurse. I had learned how to administer her reflux medicine without staining her onesies. I had learned tossing her in the air made her laugh. But while my friends continued to turn the pages in the prerequisite handbook, I was floundering. I swallowed up whatever it was that had begun to leak out as if I were taking a shot of some potent alcohol and continued to move through the party prep. I couldn't have known it then but I had repressed my anger so much 
that when emotions did arise, I thought it was sadness. This was not sorrow. This was Charybdis whirling in the pit of my stomach because when English teachers have emotional breakdowns, only ancient Greek mythology will do. Of course, we were sad she was struggling, but I was furious about what had become our normal. But anger was not a frequent visitor in my life, so I didn't know where to begin to release it or how. So I let it simmer as sadness. Sadness was much easier to cover up with a fabricated smile, even if the guests downstairs were not convinced. No one was going to throw me off my tower, even if they could all see it teetering. I knew there would be small talk and chatter until I returned. I knew Jordan would be there in the center of the room, banging on the tray of her decorated high chair. I knew she would be sitting in front of 12 photos, one for each month of her life. Despite the constant sickness, testing, and prodding, she was beaming in every photo. Missing this milestone was not an option. I splashed some water on my face and walked down the stairs. With a deep breath, I grabbed the smash cake and found my husband's brave face in the crowd. Polka dot socks, he said with a wink. Good touch. Reason 7042 while I love my husband. He was just as nervous, overwhelmed, and terrified and maybe even as livid as I was, but that twinkle in his eye always grounded me. We took our positions, proud parents standing on either side of the decorated high chair. We were worried about Jordan's quality of life, what the year to come would bring, but as we stood there, encircling her with our devotion and unwavering support system, we blew out her candles. She looked up at us as as if asking permission then directly face-planted into the lopsided yellowy goodness. Pulling her head back, she looked alarmed, and then as a clump fell from her eyebrow onto her belly, she did what she does best, giggled. Even then, it was her small signal about how she would approach the world. Leah Moore is a high school English and theater teacher with 15 years of experience in New York. She's a mom of three and an advocate for individuals with special needs, working to shift the narrative to create more stories centering around individuals with disabilities. She's the author of the memoir, Loving You Big, and you can learn more on Leah's website, which is lovingyoubig.com. If you're enjoying today's show, please share it with a friend. Your personal recommendation is a vote of confidence in what we're doing, and it really helps new listeners find the show. Our executive producer is Richard Kolath. I am your host and Read 650's founder and executive editor. Our editorial team is Stephen Lewis, David Masello, and Lisa Donati-Mayer. Our announcer is Fran Tuno. Our chief technology officer and troubleshooter is Sarah Caldwell. And our show was produced by Jim Russick. After this short break, we'll return with writer Anne Levin and Between the Lines. I'm Ed McCann, and this is Read 650. Support for Read 650 comes from the National Arts Club, whose mission is to stimulate, foster, and promote public interest in fine and performing arts. Feature programs focus on all disciplines of the arts, and the National Arts Club hosts both members-only and weekly free public events, including exhibitions, theatrical and musical performances, along with lectures and readings. Learn more at nationalartsclub.org. 
In Anne Levin's family, birthdays mean one thing and one thing only, writing the dreaded birthday poem. It's a tradition started by her mother for whom it seemed effortless, not so much for Anne or her siblings who felt deadline pressure as the fateful day approached. For today's Between the Lines segment, here's Anne Levin with The Birthday Poem. My mom was born on May 29th, and every year, as the day drew near, my siblings and I would frantically email each other about writing a birthday poem, a family tradition started by her. An hour before a party, she'd sit down and dash off a clever piece of verse. She dismissed it as doggerel, but it always brought down the house. One of her favorite tricks was to adapt the lyrics of popular tunes, especially Cole Porter's. For her best friend Adele, who was widowed very young, she once wrote, You're the top, you were mama and papa. You're the top, rough times didn't stop you. When Ma's birthday rolled around, Adele returned the favor. Had Cole Porter known you, what might he have written? Because once he knew you, he too would be smitten. Pretty soon, everyone wanted in on the act. Even my dad took a stab at it, writing a poem for Mom one year that celebrated her recovery from cancer. He did it by rhyming that nasty lymphoma with, We've got you at home, ah. After my parents died, we kept up the tradition. When my brother-in-law turned 65, my sister wrote one that killed it at the end. On your next big one, if I'm not senescent, I promise no doggerel, just a nice present. You may be wondering, why not just buy a gift card? Two reasons. People love it, and the bar is really low. Practically anything with a sing-songy rhythm and halfway decent rhymes will have people thinking you're the next poet laureate. So, in the spirit of my mother, I offer up these tips for better birthdays. First, consult an almanac for the year the person was born and work with the material. My mom was born in 1926, the year Hemingway published The Sun Also Rises which Adele rhymed with Sinclair Lewis declining Pulitzer Prizes. Second, get acquainted with RhymeZone.com, where you can plug in an ordinary word like birthday and find dozens of rhymes including Battle of Midway and Radioactive Decay. Lastly, find an anthology of English verse then model your poem after one that's instantly recognizable, like William Blake's The Tiger. As you're sweating it out the night before the party, consider that it used to be quite common for people to recite poems for public occasions. And remember, the bar is really low. Anne Levin is a writer and editor who worked for many years as a journalist, including as national news editor at the Associated Press. Before that, she was a reporter for the San Diego Tribune and several other newspapers. And she continues to review books for the AP as well as for USA Today, and she's at work on a memoir. You can see her work and learn more at annelevinwriter.com. If you have some thoughts or an experience to share about your writing life, please send us your Between the Lines submission. 
You'll find details about submissions for Between the Lines and all our upcoming show topics on our website, read650.org. That's read650.org. If you're in the podcast app already, you know how to get your podcasts, so follow this one. If you're listening on the Read 650 website and want to get each episode of the show delivered to you, along with a birthday cake and candles, download any podcast app, then search for Read 650 and follow the show. We release new episodes on Wednesdays. That is our show for today, and thank you again to writers Sharon Foreman, Jean-Marie Fleming, Leah Moore, and Anne Levin. For more Read 650, follow us on your social media of choice, but you can also join our email list for our weekly newsletter and stay up to date on upcoming events and submission calls. Thank you so much for listening today and for helping to spread the word about the spoken word. I'm Ed McCann, and this is Read 650. 